right. All right, so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, and I was going to try to get through uh, the rest of the chapter tonight, but uh, and that's, I'm not, I can tell you I'm not going to be able to get that done, but uh, I don't think. But I will definitely get, get you uh, through a few verses, so in the time we got remaining. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to review with you kind of where we've been. Some of you are just probably getting in on this study, so <coughs> we're going to, going to start there. Um, we, we're, we are dealing with the entire book of Ephesians, just going through it verse by verse, and we have made our way up to chapter uh, 3 and verse 12. The whole book of Ephesians, uh, the way I've titled it, is, is revealing our true identity, which is a great time for this study because of all the things going on in the world today. Um, and the purpose is to reveal uh, Christ's efficiency, uh, the church's unity, and the Christian's duty through the study of Paul's prison epistles. And so the theme of the of the book is building the body of Christ and the image, uh, and the image, um, uh, and likeness of Christ. I just realized I had a mess up there. It should be the image and likeness of Christ. It's a duplicate on the slide. So forgive me for that. Uh, and then um, the title, of course, is revealing our true identity, as I've already mentioned. So uh, that theme, uh, or I'm sorry, the purpose is really the same as the outline for the book. Uh, because Ephesians 1 and 2 reveals Christ's sufficiency. We spent a lot of time in those chapters talking about during the COVID you know, quarantine, talking about uh, you know, the deity of Christ and how he, is, he provides all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ and all of those things and what that means to us as his children, as his heirs, as uh, his sons, and, and so all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places in regard to our inheritance and what that means to us in the body of Christ and the building project that he has us working on. And we'll segue back to that a little bit tonight in, in, uh, as we get into the text. And then Ephesians 3 and 4, uh, we haven't covered all of this yet. Uh, we're almost halfway through this part. It reveals the church's unity. And so uh, 1 and 2 is, is really resting on Christ's deity, the fact that Jesus is God and all the access and the privilege of that. Three and four really talks the pivots to the church and the unity, and then we'll get to five and six, and talk about uh, the duty of the Christian. It gets real practical, and really everything that we learn in the first four chapters is really applicable in chapters five and six. So that'll be really practical stuff when we get there. All right, so um, and this is review, but I did, I'm doing review because review, right? Repetition's the price of learning. That's right. So Ephesians 3, 1 and 2 um, deals with the revelation of the body of Christ. Um, and that's really, uh, we talked about that in the last few weeks. And then tonight we're going to get into the, uh, the need for intercession for the body of Christ. And so we learn more about the body uh, in verses 1 through 12. Now we're going to learn about how to pray for the body. Now, uh, after we get through chapter 3, we'll be looking at the unity of the body of Christ and then the diversity of the body of Christ in 7 through 13. And then lastly, we'll look at the responsibility to the members of the body of Christ. Yeah, did you have a question? Oh, I thought you raised your hand. Sorry. Caught something out of the corner of my eyeball. Um, and, so, uh, and so when we talk about that, there's just, I left a little bit of the outline in here. We'll talk about putting off the old man, putting on the new man. So that'll be chapter 4 as we head into chapter 5. So that's enough of that for tonight. So... This is where we've been um, in Revelation, or Revelation, in Ephesians chapter 3, in regard to the revelation of the body of Christ, we saw that the, there's a, the revelation of an alternate identity, 
And Paul goes from being the apostle to being the prisoner. Uh, he introduces himself in the book as the Apostle Paul, and then he comes in and he says, but I'm the prisoner, right, for your all's sake. Um, in, chapter, in chapter 3, Paul the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. We're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. And then we saw the revelation of the dispensation of the grace of God. And you guys remember I gave you a dispensation chart. We talked about the seven mysteries. We've got to end all kinds of details about that. And, um, and so uh, you, if you don't have those notes, you can find those online uh, under Listen, Ephesians, and they're all up there. So as well as, by the way, all this for tonight. So you can go. It'll be up there. Brianna will put it up there tomorrow. So you'll have these uh, for future reference as well. All right, if you're online, uh, normally I have this posted, so I'm sorry tonight I didn't have the opportunity to get the documents online, the PowerPoint and the outline, uh, but you can follow along, take notes, and then by tomorrow the outline should be up if you want to get it, print it, and put it in your notes. All right, so intercession for the body of Christ um, is what we're talking about tonight. So let's uh, move on to that because that's really the thing I have next week. Uh, oops, that's this week. That's from an old slide. So here we are tonight. So let's get started. So intercession for the body of Christ. Um, and before I get too far into that, I'm going to just park it right there and just talk to you about chapter 3 because understanding our true identity is predicated on humility. And when, uh, when, uh, and when God of the universe models humility for us, uh, there's not a whole lot we can do uh, but follow along, praise God. And, uh, and so, and, and following his footsteps. So Paul also models humility. Humility is a big part of our identity. Christ modeled humility. Paul's modeling humility. So guess what we should do? We should model humility. And that's part of our identity. And so we, I mentioned I would talk about this a little bit. Paul introduced chapter 3 that way. And then he goes on from the apostle uh, to the prisoner. And, uh, and then he dealt with that revelation, the revelation of the ultimate identity, the revelation of the dispensation of the grace of God, and all of those things that we talked about, as I mentioned, the dispensations and the mysteries, um, and uh, the revelation of the gift of grace given to Paul, the revelation of the purpose revealed through the body of Christ. And that really helps us tie in to where we are today. So when you're in chapter 3 in verse two, 12, uh, 12, not 2, it says, "...in whom we have boldness." And access with confidence by the faith of him. Uh, okay, so what's that all about? Well, let's just keep reading. It says, Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth the length the depth the height and height and know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And uh, praise God. Thank you, Lord, for that passage. So as we look at this passage, there's been a lot of discussion today in popular culture about bowing, and starting with Colin Kaepernick and then George Floyd, of course. That was a bad situation, uh, kneeling on someone's neck. And then, uh, and then the African-American male athletes uh, have been protesting police brutality, uh, well, not all, just a lot of people that have been. 
And it's amazing that a nation uh, where the majority of people believe that all lives matter, uh, including black lives, uh, they, there's all this tension and division, isn't it? It's amazing how much tension there is in the world today. Um, and it all started over uh, an issue of authority. So we, we have, we've seen that Paul, uh, though being an apostle, identifies himself as a prisoner in Ephesians 3, 3 and 1, right? He, he starts off and he says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. He put them ahead of himself, he humbled himself, and he served the Lord. Um, and th- now the majority of the population in Rome would really identify with Paul as a prisoner. Uh, and the reason why is because at that time, uh, the, majority, the, the population was over 50%. Um, um, you know, in servitude or slavery. And so, and they were indentured servants. Depends on whatever definition you want to have. But most of the population were indentured servants at that time. So even though Paul was this apostle, he wasn't, he was really identifying, he's like, hey, I'm a prisoner. And they're like, hey, uh, we get that because we're, most of us are, we're indentured slaves. Now in America, we think, well, nobody is a slave. But today, really, a lot of people are. Uh, they're, they're, they're under servants, the borrower is servant to the lender. How many of us have credit card debt? You know, we struggle to pay off, right? And now we know what it's like to be a servant, right? So you are, you're, you're under the bondage of uh, debt, right? So even nowadays, there's different types of servitude. Uh, and uh, it just isn't as rough as it probably was in the Roman Empire. But uh, a slave has no rights. A slave has no rights. And they don't have the right to play football or basketball or go to school or even get a job. Uh, they do what they're told. They serve at the pleasure of their owner. And as uh, as an American, that doesn't set well with any of us uh, in this country, no matter what side you're on, uh, because um, we're, we, you know, regardless of your race and your culture and all of that, we're all supposed to be free citizens. And slavery is something that cannot be tolerated in this, in this particular nation. So regardless of what you uh, might have learned about 1619, the entire population of the 13 colonies actually felt like slaves during the time of the revolution. And, uh, and they felt like they were slaves, or at least, you know, being, uh, being under servitude um, to the monarchy of King George. And so what did they do? They threw off slavery to form a more perfect union. And in doing so, the hypocrisy of the slave uh, plantation was a moral problem in the country uh, that uh, declared before God that all men were created equal and endowed by their creator with inalienable rights. So there was this tension of, you know, how this country got started, and even during the forming of the Constitution, there was that tension, and they kicked the can down the road. And less than 100 years later, there was a, the bloodiest civil war this nation's ever faced. And uh, Abraham Lincoln, in his second inaugural address, got up and addressed it from the book of Isaiah and pretty much said, this is God's judgment on us for the sin of slavery. And, uh, and then he as briefly as quickly as he could let out the wrath of the northern army and sherman he let sherman loose and that was pretty much the end of the end at that point all right so so all of that was going on and uh, william wilberforce popularized a song written by john newton in 1779 that many of us know um Wilber, wilberforce was a slave trader who was born in 1785 his life was so radically altered by the gospel of our lord jesus christ that he led the fight against the slave industry in Great Britain and was a force in Europe and North America against the slave industry and started and really changed the culture. And so along with Christians who were abolitionists, most of them, Paul was a slave uh, to sin, but now he was free. 
but yet he was in bondage, but yet he was free, right? Because in Christ, that's what he's saying to the Ephesians. You know what? I'm a prisoner, but I'm free. Uh, and, uh, and so though he had, had the authority of the apostle, he identifies as a prisoner and there, thereby becomes all things to all men that by all means he might save some. And he wasn't just identifying like, oh, well, he's just kind of, you know, acting like he's a prisoner. He was a real prisoner, and he was a prisoner for Christ's sake. So today we need to spend more time fighting over our, uh, today we need to spend more time fighting over our rights, or I should say less time fighting over our rights, and more time interceding for the souls of others. And that's what Paul did uh, and was doing for the church at Ephesus. Paul was giving up his rights so that other people's souls would be set free. And so his whole mindset was, you know what, I don't have any rights. Now, this is important because we're talking about identity. And I said I did all that history because a lot of us, uh, how many of you here identify as an American? I think pretty much everybody in the room, right? So do I. And with that comes a whole lot of other things, right? But in reality, we're citizens of heaven first and foremost. And so our mindset has to be like Paul. Even though Paul's the apostle, uh, you know what, uh, and he's the apostle of the Gentiles, uh, when it comes right down to how he, he's living, he's living as a prisoner. And he's identifying, uh, obviously, with Christ, but he's also identifying with the people. Um, and so uh, one of the things that he's doing is interceding for the body of Christ. And, and so this is real instructional in verses uh, 13 through 21 because it gives us really some practical handles on what we need to be doing in an age when everything is about the rights of the people. doesn't matter which side you're on, left or right. The paradigm right now is all about rights, 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 um, which, by the way, were given by other people to us, all of us, no matter where you come from, what color you are. Nobody has earned any of the rights that we've got. And even at the founding of this nation, it was declared that they were given by God, right, that God is the one who has blessed us. So without God, you don't have a moral compass, and you have no way to actually understand what freedom is and what liberty really means. But that's another discussion. So uh, so we got all this social upheaval going on. There was social upheaval during the time of the Apostle Paul as well. And so it's really about identity. Who do we identify with? Well, we need to identify with Christ because that's the only thing that's going to bring unity, which is this section of the book of Ephesians, not only to the body of Christ, but to the world around us. But if there is no unity in the body of Christ, then you're not going to have any unity in the world around you. For sure, for sure. So if the devil can divide us, then he's going to really have his heyday in the world. Because a house divided, well, it'll fall, right? It won't stand. All right, so point A, access to intercession. So in verse 12, we've already read it. Paul says, now we're coming down from, let's just pick it up and go back up a little bit. Um, Paul says in verse 7, wherefore I was made a minister, um, well, let's back up verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs in the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So he's really revealing the riches of, of God's glory to the Gentile church. And he's focused on that here in Ephesus. Uh, and so he, and he says, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me, whom less than the least of all saints is the grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Uh, and so there he's, he's saying, man, I am, phew, I'm the least of all saints. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Then again, referencing the deity. Uh, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. 
So when the government looks into what's going on, they see the manifold wisdom of God, or they're supposed to in the church. Why? Because the church can get, re- can get results in society that the law cannot. Many years ago, I went over here uh, uh, to the... Many years ago, we were banned from going into jail when we first came down here in '02. Not because of us, but there had been Christians that didn't behave themselves properly. And Harrisonville is a, is a if you're a criminal, it's notorious. If you're a law-abiding citizen, it's, a, it's known for having a very, rigid, um, uh, a very rigid system. So there's not a lot of grace going on over at the Cass County Justice Center. Uh, it's, not, it's not one of the jails you're looking to go to. Uh, uh, no extra television, no extra, uh, you know, not a lot of extras. And, uh, and so um, I talked to a guy from Potosi, 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 one time. He's a guy that uh, is a terrible murderer. But um, anyway, he, he, was, uh, he was there, and he was telling me he couldn't wait to get back to his maximum security prison because he hated Cass County Jail. Um, but uh, my point is, is that <clears throat> um, we couldn't get in, and God opened the door for us. And uh, Cass County is kind of a punitive situation. And I actually agree with that because Romans 13 says you should, that's what the powers that be are there to do. They're to execute justice and judgment. So if you're bad boy, bad boy, you're going to go there and you're not going to like it. So the whole idea is you don't want to come back. Okay, so, so when we started going in there because the door finally opened, it really wasn't because Cass County was all that eager to have Christians come in. It was because um, at the time they were still working off of George, w., one of the bushes. Was it W was the last dude? Um, the last bush. Had a, you know, he had a program, and, and uh, there was federal money, I think, attached. I don't know all the details. But they were kind of mandated to start working with um, non-governmental agencies to help the issues with drug addiction, start helping the addicted. And that included letting people in for chapel services. So finally, the, 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 the ice thawed, and they, they just stuck their toe in the water, and they let myself and Don Tom Graham go in, and we started ministering in the jail. And... Um, and as we got in there, we started seeing good results. And in due time, God blessed us so we could branch off, and we had our own slots to run in and all that. And I pray that that continues to happen after this COVID thing settles down because we really want to get back in the jail. Uh, God's really blessed that ministry. But uh, <clears throat> when the drug court came along, which is we're, we're still very tied to the drug court through life issues, uh, that really what that is is a is a is um, a is an is really indicative of what we're not getting done where the justice system has to try to rehabilitate or give a path of rehabilitation to people that are otherwise criminals uh, because well why because we're not doing it if we want people to christ and made disciples uh, if we reach those folks with the gospel if they received it and their life was changed then they really wouldn't need a drug court would they they wouldn't even need a jail the fact that we had to build this mama jail in cass county a huge facility tells us something, a justice center, right? Would to God that we were so effective that they didn't need a big old monster justice system in Cass County because people were getting saved and keeping the law and they aren't doing meth and whatever else and all the other things that I won't get into. So, all right, so what, is it, what does that got to do with the price of tea in China? Well, the reality is, is that, is that uh, we are here to manifest God's wisdom. Right, the church. That's what Paul said there. I mean, he's like, "Hey, this is the, this mystery is going to be known through the church. Um, make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery." Verse nine, 
From the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The angels even desire to look into these things that we now hold dear. I mean, not just the, the powers that be, but the angels behind them, the principalities and powers. The church ought to make a difference in the third heaven, even. Uh, not among the good angels, but even the, you know, there's a lot of things that are hid in Christ. So, so this is going to get us into where we're going. So Paul talks about this need to intercede. Now, this is important because our relationship with Christ Jesus, our Lord, gives us boldness. It gives us boldness. Uh, in verse 12, he says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. So why is it? We're going over the head of the principalities and powers, going right to the authority. And that is God himself when we go to praying. And uh, it wasn't just Paul. Uh, he didn't say, I have boldness and access with confidence. I'm not, he was not, he's like, I'm not the pope. I'm not the priest. Uh, that's a heresy, right? You don't need, there's only one intercessor, intercessor between God and men, and it's the man Christ Jesus. And when you're born again, you have as much access to the throne of God as I do. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking other Christians to pray. That's great. But the reality is we can all pray. We, if you're born again, you've got access to the throne of God. Paul says we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. So it wasn't just Paul. Uh, he, sa he said we, not me. So in Hebrews 4, uh, and I think I got the verse up here. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, the Bible says, Seeing then, notice what it says there, we, and you can look in your Bible, Hebrews 4, 14, we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold, hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in, the time, in time of need. So that passage is all about we... And us an hour, we us an hour. It doesn't say me, it's, or you. It's us. So praying is not just something that I do, and it's not just something that you do. It is all something that we do, and so that's important. Uh, and so as we consider that our relationship with Christ Jesus, our Lord, gives us boldness. Boldness to do what? We'll pray. Not only just pray, but pray together. Now, our relationship with Christ Jesus, our Lord, not only gives us boldness, but it gives us access gives us access. Jesus gave us access when he atoned for our sins on the cross. In Mark 15, 37, the Bible says, And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. Right? And you've all probably heard how, you know, the Spirit of God that was torn from the top to the bottom. It wasn't done by man. That was God giving access and showing, really, also that he's abolished. Uh, at that time, access through the Mosaic law and access to God was now through the high priest who was Christ Jesus. He was a sacrifice and he was the priest. Um, and so Jesus gave us access when he atoned for our sins on the cross. That's what Mark fifteen thirty seven through 38 is talking about. Now, in our text, look back in chapter 2 in verse 13, Ephesians two thirteen. Look back at what it says over here. So Paul uh, is is over here talking about our unity. He says, but now... In Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were afar off are made nigh, right? You're brought near by the blood of Christ. 
And we say that, we read that, we're like, oh yeah, we're brought close to God. You know, let's sing a praise song and talk about how funny and how, how warm and fuzzy that feels. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not against that. But let's think a little deeper on this for a minute. For he is our peace, who hath made, uh, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Now, we've already talked about that, and we've talked about the temple, and we've talked about the veil. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, right, the war, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So we get our peace with God comes through Christ, but also his blood gives us access. We're nigh by the blood of Christ. So because of Jesus, we have full access to the Father through his Son. Full access, not limited access. Now we kind of know that, all right? Well, good. If we know that, we need to do something about it because, um, because our relationship in Christ Jesus, our Lord, gives us confidence. The Old Testament Levitical high priest entered into the Holy of Holies once per year to atone for the sins of the people. And when he did it, he did it with fear and trepidation. He did it with fear and trepidation. Uh, he wore bells on his garments. You know why? Anybody know why the high priest had bells on his garments every year when he atoned for the sins of the Israel? Yeah. Right, because if he stopped moving, what happened, Nathan? He was dead. All right, you don't roll into the Holy of Holies half-cocked. Right? You, go, you go in there ready to roll. You come, you come in there, and you're clean, and uh, you, you better be serious because if you're not doing it, you're going to drop dead. They're going to hear the bells not ringing and uh, moving around, and all of a sudden you're going to be in big trouble. And they, there's, yeah, they, they're, well, some say there's a rope, some say there's not. So that's why I didn't say there's a rope. In Baptist circles, we always preach there's a rope. Uh, but I think that's more Jewish tradition than necess- it's not in the book of uh, in the, in the book of Exodus. But what it does say in Exodus, glad you brought that up. Is in Exodus twenty eight thirty five it says, and it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth into the holy place before the Lord, and when he cometh out that he did that he die not, right? And so that's actually that's that's square with the Bible. The issue is yes, whether he had a rope or not, those bells were on there because uh, that's how you knew that the high priest didn't croak over dead because he was not. Ceremonial clean, ceremonially cleaned to enter in. Now, in the Old Testament, that was done with the killing of animals, and that blood covered their sins. But Jesus Christ is greater than that, and he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And his blood not only covers our sin, it cleanses us from our sin. So now we can be bold, right? Uh, I don't think Aaron was bold. I think Aaron was a little bit like, okay, I'm going in. Here we go, Lord. I'm in your hands. Pray my heart's right. Pray everything's right. Hope I didn't miss anything. God, give me, you know what, it's the Old Testament, but I'm sure he was saying, God, give me grace. <laughs> I need grace. Because he did need grace, you know, because no one can keep the law 100%. And so uh, he went in and he went out. Now, we, he says here, you know, Paul's like saying, hey, guys, you need to come boldly, with boldness. You got access. Come on in. Now, I would say... Uh, we need to be bold and we do have act, but don't you're dealing with the God of the universe right when you're before a dignitary even though he's your daddy you know come with some coup you know anyway but that's another discussion so the New Testament child of God enters in with confidence 
uh, as well. I already have that, don't I? All right, so he enters in with confidence um, by faith in, uh, in the blood of Christ. So the difference is coming to the, uh, is coming to the Father as a son as opposed to a servant. So not, it isn't just all because of the Lamb of God. Uh, I mean, it is all because of the Lamb of God, but also it's about what we're talking about, which is identity. When you come to Christ as a sinner and you, and you trust his blood to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, you call upon the name of the Lord to save you, and he saves you, he does change your identity from the inside out. And the Bible tells us we're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we're also the sons of God. We're born again. We're a new creature. We, got, we are the sons of God. Does not yet appear we shall be, but it doesn't mean that we haven't been changed because we have been. So eventually it'll be visible on the outside what happened on the inside. So we praise God for that. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, now you have access to the Father because he's not just Jesus' Father. Now he's, well, he's your Father. He's your Abba. He's your Father. Abba, Father. So we come in saying, Father, Father, right? Of course, Abba is uh, Old Testament and... Uh, and then the Greek comes out as father. But anyway, that, the bottom line is, is uh, he is the one that gives us access, and he gives us confidence by faith. So because we are sons, the father grants us access. Because you do give access to your children different to other, than other people. My daughter, we were just talking about this week, I had some people, two people kind of come in on a staff meeting. We had a, because Tuesday, we had our Monday staff meeting on Tuesday because of Labor Day, so people probably didn't know. So a couple people come in, and they're, they're like, oh, excuse us, we're, you know, we're, we're having a staff meeting here in the library. You know, they came in for other reasons, and it happens, right? Well, you know what? I, I didn't say, well, come on in here and sit down. But, you know, my wife or my daughter calls or my son, well, guess what? I'm a little bit more inclined or a lot more a bit inclined to maybe pick up a phone if they're calling and see what's going on, especially if, I, if they're not supposed to be calling at that time, right? It's a different relationship. My family has much more access to me than everybody else in the world. Or they should, right? As a matter of fact, you know, when you're married, there's only some access that a married couple has, right? That's it. So that's it. That's, that's, that's at a level. And then your children are at another level. And then kind of everybody else is at a different level outside of that, you know? And so, <clears throat> so access to the family, uh, to the father, comes through the son, uh, be, and it changes our identity through the blood. And that's how we get access to the Holy of Holies. So the difference is, is coming to the Father as a son as opposed to a servant, right? Because a servant has no rights. And you know what? A child differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. A child doesn't have any rights either. But they do have this. They have a parent that loves them. Jesus even pointed that out, didn't he, in his earthly ministry? He's like, hey, what kind of parent doesn't, you know, gives their kid a rock or a serpent, you know? Even, you don't even have to be a, a good Jew to know better. You could be a lost Gentile dog and know better than that. Why? Because God has built in the in the heart of a father and a parent to love their children. That's the way it's supposed to work. Now, in our culture, it's getting exceedingly wicked, so there's there's a lack of love. And that's, again, that's one of the judgments. That's what you see in Malachi chapter 4. When Jesus returns at the second coming, he's got to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons of the fathers. So, I've already preached on this, but just a word to the wise. Remember, with all this identity stuff that's going on and people siding up against one another because they're not one in Christ, they're not unified with God, what's eventually going to happen is the, the, the target of that is not just dividing blacks from whites or rich from poor, you know, not just the whole Marxist uh, dynamic that everybody knows about. It's eventually going to divide the, 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 the fathers 
from the sons and the sons from the fathers. It's going to get increasingly wicked. And it's going to cause the destruction of the family. Because that's what the Antichrist needs. Because when he comes on the scene, guess who he wants to be? He wants to be daddy, right? He wants to be your daddy. So go daddy, go. But it ain't the right father. It's the wrong father. And so anyway, who's your daddy? It better be God the father. Because uh, if it's not, you're going to have problems. All right. So because we are sons, the father grants us this access. So First John chapter 2, I don't think I got all those verses in there. I did not, so that's my bad. Um, you guys will have to put up with me here for a minute. First um, <clears throat> John chapter two and verse one. Just turn over there. Let's look at these together. Somebody want to read First John two, one and two? Actually, do we have the mic up here? The handheld? Okay. Oh, that's okay. Well, I normally don't. Well, because. I don't see anybody raising their hand. So you got it, Bob? First John. John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to walk over near you because they amp- there's no way to get your voice. So, Yes, sir. My little children, these things, I, these things write I unto you that ye sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate for, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. The social distance hand bump. All right, so, COVID friendly. All right, so, uh, so that's, I gave you all the big words, Bob. How about that? So let's look at this for a second. Behold, <clears throat> or I'm sorry. That's chapter 3, verse 1. So my little, notice it says, Children, these things write unto you that ye sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Now we're kind of picking up on First John 1, 9, right? Doing maintenance. But it's important to see, we have an advocate. When you go to the, if you're in the, in the law, what's an attorney called? He's called your advocate. If, uh, if a child goes into DFS, you have a child advocate. They're called a, what are they called? A para, what? Guardian ad litem. They're, your ad, they're the child's advocate. Um, and so, uh, so with, and they have, now we have an advocate with the Father. Our advocate is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then he is the propitiation. That's a big word. Actually, we still use that, though. People say, oh, we never use these words. Actually, it is used. Um, it's, not, it's probably more in a legal sense than it is in a, general vernacular but propitiation does anybody know what that means propitiation well that ain't right you're in hbi anybody no i'm just kidding that's a, he's right it's a substitutional sacrifice it's like instead of right Propi- the propitiation is that is instead of you right so he is the propitiation for our sins he is the substitutional sacrifice he's the replacement instead of you it's him and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. By the way, I don't know how your Calvinists get around verse 2. I don't know how they get around a lot of verses, but anyway. Um, the sins of the whole world. you got a monkey with that word world, and, uh, but it's the world. But yeah, that's another discussion. All right, so uh, because we're the... Now, he's talking to the children. Not everybody has this access. Jesus has died for the sins of the world, but until you receive the gift, 
His blood atonement has not been applied. And you, and you know what? You're guilty. You're guilty of his death. Right? You're guilty of the death. You know, even in the church, right? What did Paul say? We just observed the Lord's Supper um, a, a couple weeks ago. What's Paul saying? Now, obviously, if you're saved, you're saved. You're not, you can't lose your salvation. But he does say, hey, if you come to the body and the, and the blood and you come to the, the ordinance and, and, you, and you're monkeying around with it like it's just, you know, no big deal, you're guilty of the body and the blood. And uh, it could cost you your inheritance. It could cost you chastisement. You could get sick. You could even die because God doesn't like to mess with that stuff. I mean, that's, his, that's a picture. You don't play around with the picture and you don't mock God and make light of it. He could spank you because you are his child. He won't cast you into hell. You're going to have eternal life, but he can sure cut off your opportunities, put you in time out, and wait till the judgment seat of Christ or commence sooner than later. So, so those are all realities that, that, that we're, you know, you don't monkey with the, the blood of Christ. If you reject the blood of Christ, if you haven't received the blood of Christ, well, now you're guilty of the blood of Christ. I'm not talking about as a Christian. I mean, if you've never been saved, well, guess what? You're going to stand and give account for why. The Lamb of God was slain, and you, you're going to be like Pilate. You're going to be like Israel, the, the, the Hebrew Jews that rejected him. So those are, all, those, are all, those are judgments that come. So you can either be judged as a murderer, or you can be judged as someone who bowed the knee and humbled yourself and received grace and forgiveness. And, and you can receive Jesus as your sacrifice. There's really only those are the two options. And Jesus is either our sacrifice for sin, and we've received that gift, uh, or um, we, in our own self-righteousness, think we're better than him, and we will be judged for that self-righteousness. And so, all right, Ephesians 2.18, for, for through him, back in our text, we have access by one spirit unto the Father. So, um, so we know that Jesus Christ is our advocate and our propitiation, but also these three are one, so the spirit that's in us gives us access to the Father. So we have this boldness, this access through the Father, this confidence through the Spirit of God that's in us. John 14, 6, you know this verse, most of you. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Well, wait a minute. Is it Jesus or is it the Spirit? Yes, exactly. That's the right answer. It's both. These, these three are one. So Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Same, te- same book that we're in back in Ephesians. Um, as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and, gave, give, and hath given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. <coughs> and so he's our sacrifice. Hebrews ten nineteen says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We've already covered that. It goes on to say, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, wait a minute. What is he talking about, a veil of his flesh? I thought he rent the veil. What is Jesus talk? What is the Bible talking about? This veil of his flesh. Well, this is the thing in the in the physical temple. And if you're, and we do have, we may have some Jews watching us. So, if you're Jewish, you kind of know this. You understand how that worked in the in the Old Testament. And again, when they build the new temple, uh, which will be coming, 
prophetically, then they'll put a veil up. But at any rate, right, what this is saying is, that, is what Jesus Christ has replaced that old veil between the Holy of Holies. Jesus in his flesh is that veil. He, that's why First John says he's our advocate. He's our propitiation. And we get access to the Father through the Son. We go through his sacrifice to get into the Holy of Holies. He's the veil. He's the propitiation. He's, I, love that, I love that First John chapter 2 verse. I learned that when I first got saved. I've never forgotten it. And it's, it really does help you understand access to God the Father. All right. Does that make sense, Hebrews 10? The passage I was just talking about. All right. So four, our relationship in Christ Jesus our Lord gives us strength. That's another thing. Our relationship in Christ Jesus our Lord, it gives us strength so we don't faint. Anybody ever feel like fainting? Maybe tonight you want to take... I think Kelly was ready to faint earlier. He's like, don't talk about me. So here's the blanks, though. Our relationship with Christ, Je- Christ Jesus our Lord gives us strength so we don't faint. Strength and faint. So Ephesians 3, in our text here, that's what Paul's saying. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Hmm. So that's interesting. Why they're going to? De- I desire that you faint not at my tribulations. He's like, I don't want you guys to get so uh, messed up on what I'm going through that it messes you up. Because this is for your good. It's for your glory. In Luke 18 and verse 1, which is on the screen, it says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought to always pray and not to faint. Men ought to always pray and, and not to faint. And uh, I wanted to just talk about men praying. I should say, I should say that for men's re- devotion on Saturday sometime. But uh, anyway, there's something to men praying. Uh, so Luke 18, 1, and, and, and he spake a parable unto them uh, to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So Jesus prayed to the Father to sustain him before he endured the unimaginable grief and pain of his accusation, trial, and crucifixion. You remember that? Right? He prayed drops of blood. I mean, he was, he was seriously in prayer. In Hebrews 5, 8, it says, Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And I've mentioned this as often as I can, that Jesus was never going to be disobedient, ever. So he put himself in a situation where he had to obey. Well, if you're never going to be disobedient, how do you obey? Well, you ask the sinless Son of God to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Uh, That's something that's going to, as a human, is going to make him go, wait a minute, I'm innocent, and I really don't want to do that because I've never had anything to do with sin. I'm sinless. And so the Father's will is, well, I love the world, and I want to die for the world. I want you to die as my sacrifice, fulfilling the, the worship image of Genesis and Isaac and Abraham. And, uh, and Jesus is the Son saying, well, you know what? Um, I hate the cross, and I hate sin, and I can have nothing to do with sin. But I tell you what, because I love the Father, I'm going to go ahead and obey him. Because if you love me, I already told my disciples in John 14, 15, you keep my commandments and so father if that's your will i'm going to express that i don't want to do this because i'm not just god and i'm also human (laughs) and as a human i have every right to say if 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 not my will but thine be done but man if i can avoid this please let this cup pass because i don't want to do this i am innocent i am just i have no business going to the cross and he's right 
But the father says, well, I love the world and they need a perfect sacrifice. So, son, are you going to ask me to choose you or the world? Of course, we would all go say, choose me, choose me. But Jesus says, no, father, you do what pleases you. And I just am going to obey you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to obey you. So the text says in Hebrews 5.8, though he were a son, capital S, he isn't just a son, he is the son of God, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So God learned, Jesus learned to obey because he went against his own divine nature and suffered on the cross and fulfilled the will of the Father. So when we read, and we'll have to turn to Matthew 26, I put that in your notes because it's too much to put on the screen. Uh, look over in Matthew chapter 26 there, uh, and look down in verse 36. Matthew 26, 36. So over here in Matthew 26 and verse 36, the Bible says, Then come a Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. We're all probably pretty familiar with that, the Garden of Gethsemane. And saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. See, he was from the south. And, and he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Why was he? Well, he's getting ready to go to the cross, right? That's why he's sorrowful and heavy. He's getting betrayed. Then saith he to them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Verse 38. He is so sorrowful, he's, he's ready to die. I just, I just literally just... Uh, was hearing, I heard a testimony yesterday from a, a girl in China that had rejected Christ, and she got so sorrowful because of her life in China that she wanted to die. She got so sorrowful, her health actually declined, and it was going down the tubes because her emotions were dragging her down that much. Isn't that crazy? And she got sick to the point that they finally called a Christian, and the Christian came and led her to Christ. Well, first, her mother got saved, and then she got saved, and then... God turned her life around. So praise God. What a, it was a great testimony. Hope, hopefully you can meet her someday. So at any rate, um, so Jesus is saying, man, I'm so heavy. Um, I'm not so lonesome I could cry. I'm so heavy with sin I could die. And so uh, he goes on and says, um, verse 39, And he went a little further and fell on his faith pray, and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup, Pass from me, and nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep. And he saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Could, couldn't you pray for an hour, Peter? I mean, really? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is, is weak. So Jesus understood this, this praying thing. Your flesh does not like to cooperate with it. Anybody pray for an hour? It wears you down. Pray for two hours. It'll wear you down. It's, people think, oh, praying, that's easy. Just sit there and think and talk to God about stuff. Do it. I do it. Do it. See how easy it is. See how your mind stays on track. See, see, how, see how hard it is. It isn't as easy as you think. A lot of people don't do it. They don't engage in real prayer. We need to be. That's why I'm talking. Yeah, Ron. Sleeping for sorrow. What reference is that? Okay. Yeah, I'd have to look that up. 
Um, so he, he's asked him to watch and pray in verse uh, 38. And then he's like, hey, guys, can you, can you just watch with me an hour? Watch and pray, he says in verse 41, and, and enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. You know what he's doing there? He's learning obedience. By the way, isn't that instructional? We're talking about the God of the universe, the Son of God. And we teach our kids, obey immediately and exactly with the right heart attitude. Well, guess what? Jesus was pretty quick to obey, but he struggled. <laughs> so he was like, uh, if this, okay, if this can pass, you know, let it happen. Not my will, but thine be done. I'm not disrespecting your father. And then he comes back around and he says, hey, just in case, you know, this cup uh, may not pass away except I drink it, thy will be done. So, he, you know, he's, he's, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to obey. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed a third time. He didn't even wake them up, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on, sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners." Rise, let us go. Be going. Behold, he is at the uh, he is at hand. He that is at hand, uh, he is at hand that doth betray me. Excuse me for tripping over those words. He is at hand that doth betray me. So that is obviously uh, Judas. So you know, remember that song, "Sweet Hour of Prayer." Sweet Hour of Prayer. Jesus agonized in prayer, um, and his disciples. What did they do? They slept. Yeah, Ron. Luke twenty two forty five. So that's their cross reference. Were they in at, Were they in sorrow? They were probably in sorrow because Jesus rebuked them. Because Peter hasn't figured out yet that they're not going to bring in a kingdom until after he. Well, that's why Peter bolts because he's mad because he can't chop off somebody's head and start this kingdom business. He wanted it to get going. What is it? Luke what, what chapter? Luke what? Luke 22.45. Sorry, guys, I'm taking a detour for just a moment. Yeah, great drops of blood were falling down to the ground. So that is the first time. So they were already sorrowful because he wasn't going to be with them. All right, so Jesus, he agonized in prayer and his disciples slept. Jesus faced trials successfully and all his disciples but John fled in fear and disbelief. Again, it gets back to the, 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 the point that men ought always to pray, right? And we've got to be careful not to faint. So Paul's saying, you know, I'm going through some things here for y'all's sake. I need you to make sure you're praying because I don't want something that's really going to turn out good, that looks bad, to throw you off track. you got to stay on mission. you got to continue forward in the faith. And so the theologian, M.C. Hammer, he had it right in 1990 when he released a song called Pray. Uh, the chorus goes like this. That's the word we pray. we got to pray just to make it today. Anybody remember that song? I'm probably the only one. 
Oh, yeah, I got one person. Me and, me and uh, Ray, you got to pray just to make it today. I love that song. MC Hammer, 1990. And, uh, and so, you know, that's, that's, that was the, pretty much the song. He says that over and over again. We got to pray just to make it today. But uh, the point is simply this. You know, it's sad that MC Hammer has more of an awareness. That's really what that song in 1990 is about by a pop star is, hey, guys, you know what? I don't have nothing without God. I got to pray every day. That's what he's talking about. Every day I got to pray. And this guy is probably as carnal as the day is long. I don't even know if he's saved. He's like, I got to pray to make it today. But you know what? I lay odds a lot of Christians aren't that committed to praying every day. And if they are, they're probably praying for their wants and not God's needs. So we're, we're in a spiritual war. Let me put this in some perspective. Because uh, we're in a spiritual war. Paul was, will conclude this epistle with an admonition to pray always, right? In chapter, in chapter 6. With all prayer and supplication for all saints. You guys know that passage. If not, you'll get there when we get there. But, um, but Paul is going to end this book. After dealing with the whole armor of God, everyone knows Ephesians 6. Then he says, okay, now all men everywhere need to pray. We need to pray. Well, that's actually Second uh, Timothy. But, or First Timothy, chapter 2. But, the, but he says, all men everywhere need to pray for kings and all authority that we may live a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. But he does say, he does say that, that we need to pray always have, with all prayer and supplication for all saints in chapter 6. As he's wrapping up that, that, the book, uh, this book on, on Christ's deity, the church's unity, and the church's duty. There's duty. A soldier's got to... These people in, in Ephesus, they're the key. They're, they're, they're like the mini Roman, uh, the book of Romans, right? They've got to they have, have steel in their backbone. They're going to plant churches across Asia. They're going to be a key doctrinal church, and they're going to try them that say they are um, prophets, and they're going to they're find out they're not. They're going to hold fast to the faithful word. They're also going to lose their first love, so that wasn't so good, according to Revelation. But the reality is that these folks, they've got to be committed... Uh, to the mission and they're in a spiritual war they're a key church and so paul concludes that epistle with an admonition to pray always so i, I used to know a veteran his name um, was rick wilson great guy and his life expectancy in combat was six to thirty seconds because he was the radio man in vietnam on patrol in the jungles of vietnam during the vietnam war can you imagine that I thought, wow, what a privilege it was for me to know Rick. Because statistically, when the, when the bullets started flying in Vietnam, he had a 6 to 30 second. 6 seconds to 30 second. I looked this up just to make sure. Because they say 5 seconds. But they, I looked at the real statistics. They said, well, that, that's a really embellished. It's actually 6 to 30 seconds. Oh. So if you've got a big radio on your back in the jungle... In Vietnam, your life expectancy is less than a minute. Why do you think that is? Because you're the man communicating. You're the man that's got a line to tell people where you are, to give coordinates, to call in ordinance, to get reinforcements, to get supplies, to get out the wounded, to advance the mission. The radio guy's super important. It's not the 50 caliber guy. It's not the, it's not all, it's not, you know, uh, it's, they're not, those aren't the first ones out. I'm sure they're a target, don't get me wrong. But the first one that the, the Viet Cong want to take out is the radio man. 
Because if they, if they can kill communication, well, you're a sitting duck. You can't bring in air support. You can't bring in more ground support. Nobody's going to know where you're at. All they're going to hear is gunfire. And they aren't going to know who's winning. Because <laughs> nobody can get out. So, uh, man, I always thought about that. I thought, wow. So don't be surprised if you're, if you're God's radio man and you're spending time in serious prayer that opposition comes because there's nothing that puts the fear of light, uh, nothing puts fear in the devil like the light of heaven in the heart of darkness when God's people pray. They can call in ordinance from on high and wipe out acres of Satan's handiwork with one well-timed petition, saying, Lord, help. And so if you need courage, right, well, then pray. That's what Paul's saying. I don't want you guys to be faithless. I don't want you to be fearful. Pray. That's what Jesus did, and, and that's, that's how he got through the garden. And then he got through the cross. He prayed to the Father, and he prayed for others. And that's what we need to be doing. That's what I need to be doing. Deuteronomy chapter 20. Let me give you some more verses here, because NC Hammer ain't enough. All right, so uh, he won't get you very far. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 3. And shall I say to them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle. Troops are getting ready for battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts, there it is, faint. Fear not and do not tremble. There's a reason that, that Paul is addressing the issue of being faint in the dealing with prayer. Fainting and praying, if you go through the Bible, go hand in hand. Why? Because it's a spiritual battle. Fear not and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. There's a lot of people with fear and anxiety today. One of the things I guarantee that many Christians aren't doing enough of is praying. And conversely, when you do pray and you do have peace that passes understanding, guess what you're going to be accused of? Being careless. Being, you know, being, uh, and being part of the problem. Well, does that put more fear in your heart? No, it just puts us praying even more. That's what we got to do. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 30. Oh, how did that thing... Did, Ray, are you up there monkeying around? Okay. So even the, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. But they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. A lot of us know Isaiah chapter 40. That's a great passage, isn't it? So it's not even based on how old you are. It's based on, really, um, the spiritual... Uh, relationship we have with the lord wait upon the lord serve the lord and uh, be his waiter you know what your strength will be renewed remember amy and i used to know a guy named chung anderson he was just always waiting on the lord joe sparks was like that wasn't he just always waiting on the lord okay so paul wanted the saints in ephesus to see his suffering for for their sakes and be strengthened in faith not fear uh he didn't want them to be strengthened in uh in fear he didn't want to be weakened in fear so he wanted to be strengthened in faith not i should put not weakened in fear because he didn't want him weak in fear so when when we read fox's book of martyrs does it produce fear in your heart or faith you know when i you know that's a good question because sometimes you read it and it's like oh man i wouldn't want that to happen other times you read it and you're like man that's inspiring you know i like some of those protestants that you know they killed baptists and then you know, whatever, a few years later, it turns on them, and now they're the one in the, in, the, in the tower getting ready to be executed. And they got a taste of their own medicine. They're like, oh, man, and they're praying. Uh, Hugh Latimer and Master Ridley, man, that, that's a great one to read in Fox's Book of Martyrs. 
I don't remember. It's, I think it's Ridley. I think it's Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer is a prayer and warrior. He's praying. And he's yelling out to his buddy, one or the other, one of those dudes. They both got killed together. He's like, be of good cheer, you know, be, be strong, be ready to give your life for Christ. You know, you read that stuff and you're just like, yeah, man, I don't really want to go do that. But and if I do, I want to be like him, right? It, it gives you encouragement. Instead of fear, it gives you faith. And you see how well they endured hardness. When you hang out with Ganesh from India, right? Man, does it give you, do you get scared of his boldness or do you embrace it? Does it make you scared or do you go, man, this guy's full of faith? The difference could simply be prayer. Maybe you're not where you need to be in your prayer life. Because I tell you what, you get around in a real spiritual battle, you need to be in prayer. Because that, that stuff will put you on notice. People start throwing rocks at you and stuff, and you're like, whoa, hold up. When you go door to door and get rejected, does that produce fear or faith? I can remember I took L out one time here in Harrisonville. We were handing out stuff, and this dude was just nasty with us. And her porch, she was so sweet. This was, she was she's still sweet, but she was really sweet then as a little girl. And uh, and she was just heartbroken. She did not understand why anybody would treat us so mean, you know. And uh, it was sad to see that. But uh, you know what? I was praying for her that it didn't give her fear; it gave her faith. Because you know what? This world isn't always good, is it? There's a lot of nastiness out there. And so we've got to face it. If anyone's going to face it, it ought to be us Christians. And we've got to do it in faith, not fear. The difference between fear and faith in God's gra- is, is uh, God's grace. And when we need grace and strength to help in time of need, we need to come boldly and access it with confidence so we can display the faith of Christ to the world around us. God allows us in crisis. I'm going to preach on this Sunday. It's gonna actually, this is the topic of Sunday's message. Spoiler alert. But really, it's not just, you know, I talked, the first time I talked about fear, I talked about the fear of the Lord. It's so important to fear the Lord, and it is. But conversely, you know what, a lot of times, uh, you know, God is calling us into situations that cause us fear so we can demonstrate faith. There are opportunities to trust in the Lord and see Him glorified, magnified. So Ephesians 3.1, Paul said, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Paul wanted the saints at Ephesus to know His suffering for them was because of their value. He's like, man, you guys are so precious, man. I am willing to go to prison. No problem, because you are so awesome. God loves you that much, you Gentiles. (laughs) And so, man, it's amazing. It was to give them faith, not instill fear. In 2 Corinthians 1, 6, Paul wanted his affliction to reveal the value of the bride, not her vulnerabilities. 2 Corinthians 1, 6 says, oh, I got it up there. Man, I'm ahead of my own self. It says, and whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. He says, you know what? Whatever we go through, we're going to do it for Jesus so that you can be encouraged. So that you can be encouraged. In Philippians chapter 1, in verse 12, the Bible says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. He's trying to show them that God doesn't lose. Even when you lose everything, God still wins. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without, without fear. 
without fear. Paul says, hey, this is all working out. Don't feel sorry for me. Of course, he's not doing the hard time yet when he writes Philippians. Don't feel sorry for me. God is, God's taking care of me in prison so that everybody can get bolder. So Paul understood that as long as he loved God, all his sufferings would work out for the good of the bride of Christ. And that was his concern. All right, so, uh, so Paul understood that. In Colossians 1.24, he says, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. And he sent Timotheus, our brother, in 2 Thessalonians 3. Let me move to the next verse. Verse, verse 2. He sent Timotheus, our brother, and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. You ain't going to hear that preached very often. Oh, yeah. We're appointed to sufferings. But you know what? We ought to preach that because 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So if you deconstruct that, what's that mean? If you're not living godly, you're not going to face persecution. So he's saying, guys, listen, persecution is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. It means you're getting some traction. It means you're, there's some opposition. Spiritual persistence will bring satanic resistance. You're, you're on track. So don't be discouraged. Go to prayer and get encouraged. Don't be faithless but believing. You've got to pray just to make it today. And so, so many people today really, I, I think, are discouraged, not because they don't have the right Bible doctrine, not because they don't go to church, not even because they don't have the Spirit of God in them. It's because they won't pray. They're not doing the priestly work of the ministry. Paul says, it's not just me that has to pray. You have to pray. You know, getting up on Wednesday night and looking at a piece of paper and saying, oh, there's a few prayer lists. That's not, that's not, we're not getting anything. We're not getting a lot of traction done up here on Wednesday night. We're not here. To, we're here to get in the Word of God. We're getting something done in that regard. The, pray, the praying in this church happens on Sunday night. And also happens in some of the ABFs. The way they do their ABFs, they make prayer a priority. I know Pastor Randy does uh, almost every week. We pray scripture together and stuff like that. And even to my, my shame, in my home, I'm not spending a lot of time praying like I probably need to be with my family. But I, I, that's, that's kind of a shout out to all of us, including me. I mean, the days aren't getting any lighter. If I expect my kids to tune in to what's really going on, I don't think it's just going to be me, you know, sending them YouTube videos and preaching sermons to them. Although, I'd like to do that too. But what's really going to get them tuned in is like, hey, let's gather up and pray about this thing. I remember when all this COVID hit, I, we did. I, we, we gathered around the living room, and I said, okay, guys, we got to pray because this is something weird here. This is weird, so let's pray. We're going to give this to the Lord. And so they saw their dad praying, not just over the mill. And so, anyway, I'm not saying I'm the example. I'm not the example of, of uh, praying like I ought probably, but I want to I do better because I don't want to be faithless. I want to be full of faith, and I want to understand that when there's opposition, you don't wilt like a flower. You stand. That's what Ephesians 6 is all about. Stand ye there for. How does that happen? Well, by praying. Obviously, doctrine's important. You've got to have the right Bible. You've got I mean, you to have the right doctrine. That's huge. But you know what? If you're not praying, you're not staying. You're, you're going to get killed in the battle. So anyway, uh, next time we get together, we're going to talk about, um, we're gonna talk about insights to intercession. Insights to intercession. 
So we're going to talk about Paul's insights on the heart of intercession, his insights on how to intercede, his insights on who to intercede uh, to, uh, why we intercede, and, uh, and also talk about the Lord's strength as well. Then we'll move on to the intention of our intercession. So, all right. Any questions tonight? I hope that was edifying. Does that edify anybody? I hope so. That's why I'm here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the tradition is, and it's, since it's not explicitly spelled out in the Word of God that they did that, it's kind of more of a tradition that they would put a rope on them. In the event that they died, they could pull their body, their carcass out. Because you don't want to go in the Holy of Holies. You're not, they're not prepared either. <laughs> so, you know, you, you, you don't want to go in there. So, uh, yeah, now you would definitely want to have a rope on them to get them out of there. So, uh, yeah, you stayed on the other side of the veil and pulled that rascal out. So, anyway. that's So, yeah, we get to enter boldly. We get to enter with confidence. And what an incredible privilege we have to pray. So, you know what? We should just do that right now. Let's uh, have a word of prayer. And, uh, Bob, you want to close this, brother?